0: Blog Talk Radio What we're doing now is um is I keep being asked to do a live episode, so I thought that I would go ahead and I would try to do a live episode. Um, There, there's a call-in number, but if you're not listening, then you can't uh, use it. However, it is 646-787-8319, if you're interested. Um, So in addition to talking about turkeys, we also talked about the uh, real stories of Thanksgiving and how they're not exactly as sweet and kind as the as the um, high school textbooks would have you believe, and we found out that the that the high school textbook version really only came around in about the 1950s, during a series a a, a spurt of patriotism after World War II. So that was what we discussed this week. What we've got is uh, gravitational mass concentrations, mass cons. Um, I when I was doing research for those, I spoke to a friend of mine who is a, a who was in oil, oil and natural gas discovery in that business. And he had not only heard of mass but they actually are something that have been in use by the um, oil and gas industry for a long time. and in fact, uh, even before the, the oil and gas industry started, Tracking them, they were used in the 20s and 30s in Texas to find salt domes because salt domes uh, had a different gravity signature than the rest of the of the surrounding area. So, what is a mass concentration? What that is is that is simply where the uh, the mass is. Heavier than it is in other places. Uh, the more dense that matter is, the more of a pull it has on its surrounding items. That's what gravity actually is: is a measurement of the uh, of the attraction or the density of a of a uh, object and how it will pull and how it will pull a person down um, or anything down really. And in some cases there are denser areas of of um there are denser areas of mass sometimes done with sometimes caused by asteroids impacting a lot of them on the earth are caused by asteroids i mean uh not on the earth a lot of them on the moon are caused by large asteroid impacts and when the asteroid hits the moon it it usually doesn't survive, but it squashes the matter down underneath where the uh, squashes the matter down underneath uh, where it hit. So oftentimes, what you'll have is like a bullseye effect, and so you will have an area of heavy matter at the bullseye at the center, and then you will have less and less uh, dense matter as you move out. The less dense the matter is, the less pull it has. and so the less something weighs, basically. The mass always stays the same, obviously, but the weight can change. Um, and what I mean by the mass stays the same, obviously, is that suppose that you were on a suppose you were on a rocket ship and you were going to go to the moon and you weigh one hundred and thirty pounds and And you are made up of a certain number of molecules and atoms and so forth, and on earth they weigh one hundred and thirty pounds. When you go up into space, when you get to the moon, it weighs about uh, one sixth. So instead of I should use I should use an easy number, but I didn't so. Whereas you may weigh 130 on Earth, you weigh one sixth less on the moon. And that's why, that's why, you know, when you've seen the films from the Apollo missions and, you know, and when they take a step, they bounce. It's because they are very light compared to how they're used to being. Them. But, of course, they still are made up of the same number of atoms and molecules, etc., as they were when they left Earth. It just weighs less because the moon is pulling down on it less hard. So, a mass concentration is, of course, a heavier place. Um, so, some interesting things about that if you were in Hawaii, which is made out of basalt, you will weigh less than you will in New Hampshire, which is made out of granite. Granite is a lot heavier than basalt. And so, when you, when you, uh, when you go to weigh yourself in New Hampshire, you're going to weigh more. So if you want to make sure that you're feeling like your diet is being successful, you should go to Hawaii for your morning weigh-ins. Of course, going to Hawaii for your morning weigh-ins will also make your life better in, in innumerable other ways, like, you know, sunshine and beaches and surfing and and so on. If uh, That's just kind of... Thinking out loud there. So my friend, who is a uh, who who is in the oil and gas industry, he explained a lot of really interesting things to me about about that industry um, and how it uses gravity in addition to other things in order to discover where the oil is. So just do a few of them. Um, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Okay, so for instance, I'm sure you have all heard the phrase, I drink your milkshake, even if you haven't seen the movie No Country for Old Men. And basically what that is referring to is um a basic plot of the movie. I don't think I don't think I'm gonna spoil it. It's a movie that's been around for quite some time. But um but uh Yeah, so if you haven't seen No Country for Old Men, you might want to close your ears at this point. But basically what it's about is there's a man, and he is trying to obtain the mineral rights for a particular piece of property. And he goes at regular intervals to ask about buying the mineral rights for this particular piece of property, and the owner will not sell it to him. So the man buys neighboring properties, And he continues to go and ask for these mineral rights, and he continues to be turned down. And there is a lot of story that goes on besides that. And at the very end of the movie, like I said, if you haven't seen No Country for Old Men, hide your ears. Um, At the very end of the movie, he reveals that the man hasn't got any minerals. He doesn't have any oil under his property anymore anymore because the because the man has been drilling sideways from his properties which neighbor this one he has been drilling sideways and he has been uh, sucking up the mineral rights um, I mean he's been sucking up the oil so uh, that that phrase I drink your milkshake he is he demonstrates how with a crooked straw, that he can stick his straw into the other guy's milkshake and suck it right down, and the guy can't do anything about it. Uh, so my friend uh, told me that, um, I'm telling you how, how he put it, he says like in Texas in, uh, in the 1910s and 1920s, there weren't any rules regarding how far apart a uh, oil rigs could be from each other. And in fact, if you look at old uh, movies from that period, you'll see sometimes you'll see people jumping from one oil rig to the next because that, they're that's close. Um, you just he says you just drilled as many straws into the pool as you could and drain whatever you could before your neighbor did it. So that's what that's in reference to. Um, that was really hard on the reservoirs. Because the reservoirs of oil, they, they have some pressure to them. They are somewhat under pressure. That's why they uh, can be pumped up. So what happens is, is uh, he says, you blow off the pressure that's under there that is, that is helping to, to get the oil out of the earth. Um, so you leave so without that pressure, you leave a whole bunch of, of oil down there that can't be recovered. Um, So the Texas Railroad Commission set up these rules to govern how close drill rigs could be together um, and also, more importantly for this discussion, how close they could be to the neighboring properties. The default is 330 feet, he says, farther sometimes, uh, closer if the operator has compelling evidence that he is not harming the reservoir or, as in the movie, draining someone else's land. And other states uh, after Texas followed suit. So in 1963, the Ashland Oil Company drilled a seismic anomaly. um, And what that means is that there was something in the earth that, that seemed different. And so they drilled into it. And he says, Seismic guys were called doodle buggers back then. That's interesting. Uh, so they hit the seismic, seismic anom- anomaly in Morrow County, Ohio, and they hit a huge reservoir of oil. So they tried to hide the size of the discovery, claiming the well only produced 200 barrels of oil per day. Um, there is also a law that says you have to report the actual number truthfully. Um, there was no enforcement at that time, uh, but scouts... Who counted the trucks going back and forth? They realized that there was no way this well was making 200 barrels of oil a day; that it was making at least six times that amount. So everybody, of course, immediately rushed to Ohio, where the oil, where the uh, where the oil boom was. Um, Ohio never enacted any spacing laws, so people in Ohio were were uh, buying up properties right next to each other and they were putting their garages they they were moving the garages out of the way in order to put an oil drill up in their in their uh backyard. Uh and he says that was it's known as the last town lot play in the United States. Um we also talked about fracking a little bit. And fracking, I know, is a is a dirty word and has all kinds of evil connotations, but so I asked him about it. I asked him about what is the deal with the fracking. So what he says is um, there was a big push to get fracking companies to re- to release their ingredient list a few years ago. If you don't know what fracking is, fracking is the process of of pushing water under the earth into areas where the oil is. In order to you remember back there a while ago, I said that um, you lost some of your driving pressure by sucking all the oil off at the top, and so there was a lot of oil underneath. Fracking is a way to uh, in, to uh, increase that pressure again, so that that oil can be retrieved. Um, so there was some pushback on releasing the uh, ingredients of fracking. New Mexico and Colorado, uh, however, now require companies to release all the info. Uh, Most states do it as well, he says. Colorado and New Mexico are the two he's most familiar with. So he says, let me tell you a thing about fracking ingredients. There are a variety of things you might want to add to stimulate a particular reservoir um, in order to get it to pumping again. Mostly you're pumping in water and sand with the idea that the water will push the sand into the cracks you've made. Uh, by pressuring up the reservoir so that when the pressure bleeds off and the cracks try to slam shut, something, a proppant in this case the sand, is there to keep them open. Um, pure water by itself doesn't push sand very far, so fracking employs an, a variety of thickening agents. So, but this whole thing about the fracking ingredients. And the initial response of the Indians were, of the industry was, uh, huh, these are freshwater reservoirs. They're, we're pulling oil and gas and saltwater brines out of the earth. And the brines are often laden with heavy metals. So why in the world would you care what we were pumping in, given what we're pulling back out? And he says, unfortunately, people did care. Um, mostly through ignorance, mostly through not understanding what was going on. Um, So they began experimenting with food-grade additives, um, pushing them into these, uh, as he describes it, horrible, poisonous, deep rock environments. Um, And it turned out that food-based agar, or agar, how is it pronounced? Agar. Agar. Agar, agar. Agar. Turns out that uh it, that it is um what? No what? Okay. Um so it so anyway, it turns out that Agar uh is a wonderful thickener, pushes the sand around very well and doesn't clog up the poor throats afterwards. Um, it's also a lot cheaper than what they had been using to thicken stuff prior to that. Um, so there was some synergy with that. I asked about the the uh, heavy metals. It was arsenic more than mercury, he says. Both are present in the deep brines in many areas, along with cadmium. And again, I quote, half the friggin' periodic table. So uh, when you deplete a shallow reservoir he says, say by pumping for irrigation out of the barnet. Then it can happen that if there's a route for deeper brines to infiltrate the reservoir, they do so. And the freshwater quality degrades. Um, this has happened in many aquifers with no oil industry activity at all. This is just uh, fluid dynamics. Um, it's, it's brine when it gets lo- when it gets low, it, when, uh, right down there and it happens regardless of what is what's calling it um, it's also happened to some shallow freshwater aquifers in the barnet during the years when fracking was underway deeper in the basin so was the de- degradation due to fracking or would it have happened regardless due to depletion uh, the thing is nobody really knows so here's how fracking got the got the, the bad name that it has A paper was written documenting the degradation and saying, well, we're not sure what's in fracking fluid, so we can't rule that out as a source of the arsenic. So basically, this paper came out and said, here, this is happening, and uh, we don't know, could have been the fracking, and they didn't know. And of course, that scared the public. He says, why on earth would we put arsenic into fracking fluid? It would serve no purpose. And even if we did, the frack volumes couldn't begin to account for the rise in arsenic concentration. So a translation of that is the the likelihood was good that it had absolutely nothing to do at all with with what was going on. And it was just an unfortunate coincidence. Um, Let's see. There was a a bit more. What about fracking and earthquakes? What about fracking and earthquakes? Well, that's a good question. I'm going to look up fracking and earthquakes. Because I can't ask my friend right now. Um, Fracking causes... Okay. And this is the United States Geological Survey. Earthquakes induced by fluid injection, FAQs. Does the production of natural gas from shale cause earthquakes? If so, how are the earthquakes related to these operations? To produce natural gas gas from uh, from shale, that's not really what we're looking at here. Oklahoma now has more earthquakes on a regular basis than California. Are they due to fracking? That's the question, right? Essentially. Why is Oklahoma falling apart? In a few cases, yes, but in most cases, no. The majority of the earthquakes in Oklahoma since 2011 occur in areas where oil is being produced by pumping massive volumes of water out of naturally fractured formations to extract much smaller volumes of oil. Most of the oils used to access the oil are completed with no fracking. The natural formation water that comes to the surface with the oil is too saline to be released into the environment. So, disposal by injection into deep formations is currently the most common method of disposal. Injecting large volume of water into the deep sedimentary formations raises the pore pressure over large areas that can induce uh, earthquakes. So, translation of that is that it is not fracking that's causing the earthquakes. What is causing it? Is wastewater disposal, and it's coming from mines or from wells rather that do that don't have anything to do with fracking. Um, now, here's another interesting one. In case you were going to sleep well tonight, is there any possibility that a wastewater injection activity could interact with a nearby fault to trigger a major earthquake that causes extensive damage over a broad region? So, are you are you ready for this? So far, there's no conclusive evidence to link injection operations to triggering of modern of major earthquakes. However, we cannot eliminate this possibility. So there you go. Um, is it possible to anticipate whether a planned wastewater disposal activity will trigger earthquakes that are large enough to be of concern? Um, there got some more good news for you there. Were you going to try and sleep tonight? Yes. Okay. Uh, Currently, there are no methods available to do this. Three conditions must be met for injection to induce an earthquake. Uh, You have to have a a fault. You have to have stresses acting on the fault already that are favorable to make it slip. So it's not going to just occur out of random. It's going to occur at a place where there was an earthquake already brewing anyway. And a pathway for the pressure increase from injection uh, to interact with the fault. So you've got a fault that already exists that was already in a position where it could favorably produce an earthquake and, that, and, a, and a way for the wastewater disposal injection to cause it to slip. Evidence from some case histories suggests that the magnitude of the largest earthquake tends to increase as the total volume of injected wastewater increases. This rate, thus the uh, rate of injection, may also be a factor. So, more research is needed to determine the answer to this important question. Does that make you happy? Sure. That makes you happy. Uh, how large are the earthquakes produced by fluid injection? What source are you quoting? This is the United States Geological Survey, uh, USGS.gov. The largest. <laughs> the largest in earthquake in, induced by fluid injection that has been documented in scientific literature was a November 6, 2011 earthquake in central Oklahoma and had a magnitude of 5.6. Earlier that year, a 5.3 earthquake was induced by fluid injection in the Raton Basin, Colorado. Earthquakes with magnitudes between 4.5 and 5.0 have been induced by fluid injection in Arkansas, Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma and Texas. So, these are not tiny earthquakes. They're not huge, but they're definitely not tiny. A magnitude 5 Let's see. A magnitude 5 earthquake magnitude is a number that characterizes the relative size of an earthquake. Magnitude is based on the measurement of maximum motion recorded on a seismograph. Uh, This is earthquakes.usgs.gov, by the way. Several scales have been defined. The most commonly used are local magnitude, which is the Richter magnitude. Um, And let's see exactly how much a a level 5 earthquake is. So, five point six earthquake it was, November sixth, two thousand eleven. Take a look at this. Um, dum dum dum. That's not very helpful. We're still looking here. Uh, let's look at Richter scale. Maybe that'll give it to us. Richter scale, as developed in the 1930s, is a base 10. Where'd you go? Okay, Um, it is a base 10. As measured with the seismometer, an earthquake that registers 5.0 on the Richter scale has a shaking amplitude greater than 10 times greater than an earthquake that measured 4.0 at the same distance. An energy release is generally proportional to the shaking amplitude raised to the three second power. An increase of one magnitude corresponds to release of energy 31.6 times that released by the lesser earthquake. That means for instance that an earthquake of magnitude five releases 31.6 times as much energy as an earthquake of magnitude four. Um, But we still don't really have a good uh, here this is called the Mercalli Institute uh, Mercalli intensity and here it is how it ranges for uh, uh, in comparison to the Richter scale a 5.0 to 5.9 is called a moderate earthquake. it can cause damage of varying severity to poorly constructed buildings at most none to slight damage to all other buildings everybody can feel it and there are about 1,500 per year. Uh, a 4.0 earthquake, this is interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me anyway. 4.0 earthquake, noticeable shaking of indoor objects and rattling noises felt by most people in the area, slightly felt outside, generally causes none to minimal damage. Uh, moderate to significant damage is very unlikely. Some objects may fall off shelves or be knocked over. I was in a 4.6 uh, Run the Richter scale, 4.6 magnitude earthquake when I was in Carmel, California, way back in the 80s, and it scared the bejesus out of this Colorado girl. I had never felt the earth shaking before, and um, I agree, though. It was uh, people outside didn't even notice that it had happened, Um, 3.0. 3.9 3.9 is often felt by people, very rarely causes damage. Shaking of indoor objects can be noticeable. Uh, a 2.0 to a 3.0 is felt slightly by some people. There is no damage to buildings and a 1.0 to a 1.9 is called a micro or earthquake. It's not felt. And it's felt very rarely recorded by seismographs. Um, there's some interesting there's some fun places that you can go to on the
1: uh, on the internet
0: where you can see the most latest earthquakes. What? Make sure you still recording. Yeah. Um, so at uh, earthquakes. Usg usgs. Uh, Gov. Um, think that they may have one Uh, latest earthquakes okay so at earthquake.usgs.gov you can do a search for earthquakes map and you will see a uh, one day magnitude 2.5 plus worldwide Um, the most recent earthquakes over the past 24 hours There are a couple here in the United States. I see. Um, uh, This is a magnitude three northwest of Fairview, Oklahoma, and a uh, 2.7 west-northwest of Cushing, Oklahoma. That's interesting that they were. I thought we covered that it wasn't fracking. It's not fracking. There's something going on there. Jay says it's not fracking. Gee, it works for the oil industry. <laughs> so, uh, There was a magnitude 2.6 north northeast of San Simeon, California. That's not too surprising. Uh, 2.6 east northeast of Mandeiro, Mexico. Is it true that Oklahoma's on the ring of fire now? Oklahoma's not on the ring of fire. Um, oh, there was a lot of them in Argentina. I'm kind of looking Ooh, in Peru. Here was a 6.3 in Peru. Um it happened yesterday. No, it happened today. It happened today. Um forty three kilometers northeast of I need to buy a consonant. Huari Hori Canicaro, Peru. That's interesting. So we can click on that here and we can go take a look at it. Um says Uh, estimated economic losses it it says uh, let's see estimated economic losses Um, estimated okay so it says uh, not much of a estimated economic loss Uh, mm, there's a low likelihood of casualties and damage um oh this page when you click on the link where the where the earthquake is listed you get so much cool stuff So estimated population exposure to earthquake shaking. It says that there's not very many people around there. Um, Overall, the population in this region resides in structures that are vulnerable to earthquake shaking, though some resistant structures exist. Recent earthquakes in this area have caused secondary hazards such as landslides that may contribute to losses. It's got a list of the Names of all the cities with a thousand or more residents within the area. Acoviri, Villa Villa, Paraccia, condoroma. I'm just butchering these names. These names don't. It's pretend like I don't even try and say those names. I wonder if we can sort this list by uh, by size. nope, just by date. Um, none in. There were none in Canada. Uh, I'm looking over this, what, what is referred to as the ring of fire now. And what that is, is that's an area uh, in the Pacific Ocean. California is located on it. Alaska is located on it. Um, it has a lot of volcanic activity. It is the intersection of tectonic plates. Um, the Pacific plate interacting with other plates. And it's called the Ring of Fire because it has a whole bunch of, of earthquakes and volcanoes. So we've got a 2.5 near Anchorage, Alaska. We've got a 3.9 near Chernaburra Island, Alaska. Uh, there's a 4.5 in the ocean. There's kind of a big one in Paratunko, Russia, 5.0. Anyway, so um, that is mag- the gravitational mass cons and the, uh, and the earthquakes and all about earthquakes and everything else. And, of course, um, when I post the show notes, I will put all the references that I have used in there. So the next thing we were going to talk about were vampires. And, you know, there, there are a whole bunch of vampire uh a whole load of vampire lore. And depending on which vampires you're talking about, the lore is different for them. For instance, Anne Rice vampires are unable to go into the sunlight, um, but they're very hard to kill, even by fire, especially as they grow older. And they don't have any issues with things like crosses, don't really bother them or anything like that. Um, Your Bram Stoker vampires they are going to be they're they're more of a hypnotist they need to be in their own soil that's why in Dracula he is shipped over in a coffin full of dirt it's the dirt from his own soil he came from a, a castle in Transylvania and that's where the dirt is from there are lots of of Places in Transylvania that have these these um, rumors of creatures of the night and so forth. And uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula's are pretty classic, although he does not cover all of the things that they have. And he also changes some of them. So, for instance, in Transylvania, if you kill a vampire, you do need to put a stake to its heart and then... If you're eating, I recommend stop. Then you cut off the head of the vampire. You stuff the mouth with garlic. And then you bury the head face down and the body face up. Um, you will see in some colonial American graves, you will see some, some uh, burials like this. And what that means is that the person who is being buried was suspected of being a vampire, or they had some issues with vampires. I don't know how you know you have issues with vampires, but you may see even whole cemeteries where people have been dug up and had the heads removed and the mouths stuffed with garlic and then reburied in this fashion, I'm assuming because they thought that there was going to be vampires in that cemetery. Um, so, Bram Stoker doesn't really get into that all that much. Um, the Bram Stoker's Dracula's, or yeah, they're called Dracula. Um, his vampires have the ability to turn into animals, rats, and bats, and, uh, and a mist. He is known to transform into a mist. Uh, The name Dracula is probably historical from Dracul, probably uh, related to Vlad the Impaler, who was in this area at this time. Vlad was interesting. Vlad was a Macedonian who was captured by uh, the Turks and held as a slave. And he got very bitter about that. And so he would take his enemies and he would... And he would kill them and then he would mount them on a pike. And again, un- unlike the way you have probably seen on, on TV or in drawings of heads on pikes with no bodies, he probably actually mounted the entire body uh, without getting too specific. There is an orifice located between the legs where one could jam a pike and thus impale a body. And that was what he did there were entire bodies hanging there um with with pikes in their orifices that's just the best way to put it so we've got uh so we've got vlad the impaler this is a this is also an area where There was a belief at one time that bathing in the blood of virgins would cause you to stay young forever. And so noble people would sometimes have a a stock of virgins. And um, there was one lady in particular. I don't have her name written down right now, but I will make sure that I add it into the show notes. And she was famous for this, for bathing in in the blood of virgins. Um, I don't think it necessarily kept her young, though. But it, but it did keep her gross, and I guess that that's something. Let's see, what other kind of vampires do we have we discussed? Let's see, Bram Stoker. There's the traditional vampires. There's the Anne Rice vampires. Of course, there are Twilight vampires. Um, Twilight vampires and Anne Rice vampires share a quality that is not common. In general, vampire lore, and that is of the "quote unquote" vegetarian vampire. Of course, a vampire can't be a vegetarian because a vampire subsists on blood. In Anne Rice's version, a vampire who is starved of blood doesn't die; they just get more and more wasted away, and then they eventually, um, and, and then they get all desiccated, but they don't die. And the, in the Twilight version, a vegetarian vampire, they both do the same thing, instead of eating people, they eat animals as if it's somehow uh, less horrifying to have vampires running around in the woods eating Bambi and Thumper, but that's how that is. In, in the Anne Rice version, it's strictly rats um, and what they do is they like to, to dump the, the blood into a, a chalice and then drink it as quickly as possible before it gets cold. Um, Twilight vampires, I, I don't know. I never I never read of them having a bunch of blood thermoses or anything like that. So that is a vegetarian vampires. One thing that a lot of people don't know. So there is a superstition. Where if you spill salt, it is considered to be an evil omen. Salt used to be a highly prized commodity, and to spill any of it was it was unthinkable. It, was, it would be like 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 losing gold dust for us. Um, and so it was presumed if you spilled salt that surely the, the devil was at work and the vampire lore. Moves in with the uh, the devil lore in this instance, and what it is is actually creatures of the night or or evil creatures or monstrous creatures that they're known by all those names. And basically, what you're doing when you throw salt over your left shoulder is is in some traditions you are throwing salt in the eye of the devil. But actually, in the earliest parts of this lore, what you will find is that, for some reason, vampires and the devil and uh, other people of that ilk simply do not have the ability to walk past uh, salt without counting every grain. So... So, so here are the things that we've got that vampires are have to be careful of. Uh, garlic, mirrors, flowing water. Well, he won't be able to cross over flowing water. Daylight, holy symbols, fire. Um, there is another particular weakness, and that is the erythromania is what it's called. Uh, for some reason, there are a lot of legends uh, in which creatures are punished. By being forced to count enormous numbers of things, for instance, counting all the wheat grains in a particularly wealthy city's granaries, uh, counting every grain of sand on a beach, measuring the water in the ocean—you might recognize some of these from Grimm's fairy tales. Um, the the people who the Cinderella in Grimm's fairy tales had to count every every kernel of wheat. So if you burn salt, it is said, you're forced to pick every grain of salt out of hell when you die. So the salt over the shoulder thing, uh, vampires have over time um, sort of become like this resting ground for all sorts of these half-remembered traditions. Um, So the story goes, if you're chased by a vampire, that happens to you please be sure to call in and let me know because i am dying to talk to somebody who's been chased by a vampire so if you're chased by a vampire throw sand on the floor because it will be forced to count every single speck all the only the only advice that i have here is that if you're in transylvania and you happen to be being chased by a vampire. make sure that you have in your pockets at all times uh, a vial of very fine sand so that you can throw it down, and then he'll have to count it And the same thing goes from the uh, same thing goes for salt. you can throw salt at him, and then he will have to stop and count the salt. Now, if you think about it, you probably uh have already actually thought to yourself. I know of a vampire that likes to count. Yes, the count on Sesame Street, the the Count von Count. I don't know if they got that idea from this old legend about counting vampires, but it seems like an unusual coincidence if it was not intentional. So I suspect that they may know this. Um So the Count on Sesame Street, uh, he's a modern relic of these horror stories. Um, The Sesame Street Count has reclaimed the terrible weakness of of arithmomania, and he has transformed it. The site that I'm looking at here, it's a a blog. Um, And again, I will make sure that I that I post a link to this, uh, uh, they describe this as uh, transforming it into a clarion call for freedom. So that is the vampires and the vampires counting. So next week, I'm not too sure what we're going to look at next week. I, I haven't really looked into that. What I would really like it would be if you guys would go to the website at www.feedingthemonkey.com. There's a contact button there where you can email me. If you'd just like to email me, it's monkey at feedingthemonkey.com. There's a Facebook page. If you go on Facebook, look for Feeding the Monkey. You can leave me messages on the page. Let me know if there's something that you're dying to know the answer to. And I will do my best to find out about it. Um, next, next week, uh, we'll probably look at, I think we'll probably look at how is uh, video poker or online poker, not video poker, because that's an entirely different topic yet again. But I think we will look at, um, at how online poker Differs in strategy and so forth from, uh, clink, clink. Differs from, uh, uh, person to person, face to face. We'll look and see how they differ as far as strategy and, uh, mindsets and we'll look at who plays them and so forth. I like, uh, to play online poker occasionally. So, so, uh, That will be interesting for me. And also interested, I will see if I can figure out where the Romans got the idea for the aqueducts and where they thought they were going with these roads that they built. If they were just for battle or if they were for going from space to space within the colony or if they just happened upon while they were... um, Uh, while they were, you know, walking from place to place and just wore a path down. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in that. I want to find out what it is that called that. And um, I am going to call this early. There's still actually uh, 10 minutes left, but there's no callers. And so I'm not going to worry about that. Again, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your support. And if you can think of anything at all that you want to know, just let me know. Thank you. Have a nice evening.